Welcome to the Northwood Baptist Church Podcast. This is Tommy Metter, lead pastor of Northwood Baptist in North Charleston, South Carolina, and I'm so thankful that you've taken the time to listen to the following message. If you'd like to learn more about our church, go to northwoodbaptist.com. And if you like what you hear, leave us a review and subscribe to our podcast so you can have new content delivered to your device every single week. I hope the following message blesses you and helps you connect faith to life. All right, I invite you to take your Bibles and turn back to the book of Judges with me. We're in Judges chapter 13 this morning. We're going to look at the whole chapter, but just a moment, I'm going to read to you uh, the first seven verses of Judges 13. So Judges 13, 1 through 7 is what we're going to read together in just a moment. If you're new to the Bible, Judges is not too hard to find. Uh, just go to the Old Testament, find the first book, Genesis, and then go seven books in, and you'll find yourself in Judges. And you don't own a Bible, uh, good news for you is we have a Bible for you right there in the book rack, in the seat before you. Grab that Bible, find Judges with us, and take that Bible home with you if you don't own a Bible. Begin to read it and learn about the God that loves you. Judges 13, verses 1 through 7 is what we're going to read together in just a moment. Uh, so, so, so when I was in college... Um, there was a young man at that time, he was probably in his early 20s, and he wrote a book. He wrote a book that became a, a national bestseller among Christians and especially among young ladies at our college, and the name of the book was I Kissed Dating Goodbye. It was terrible for us young men at college for a while, and so, so anyway, he wrote that book, and, and, and everybody read it, and it became a big deal. Anyway, this young man uh, went on to pastor a church, and, and, and pastor a, a rather large church, uh, what we would call a mega church. Several thousand people showed up every Sunday, and he did that for 10 years. His name's Joshua Harris, and I don't know if you've heard his story because it was all over the news in the last few months, because after 10 years of pastoring a very large church after writing not only one book but several books that were Christian bestsellers, Joshua Harris had enough. Had enough of pastoring, had enough of writing, had enough of Christianity all together. He literally stopped being a Christian. Listen, this is what he said. He, he, this is very public, and he came out on Instagram, and he, he made this statement. I have undergone a massive shift in regard to my faith in Jesus. The popular phrase for this is deconstruction. The biblical phrase is falling away. By all the measurements that I have for defining a Christian, I am not a Christian. Many people tell me that there is a different way to practice faith, and I want to remain open to this, but I'm not there now. I don't know about you, but when I hear a statement like that from someone who was a, a pastor, a leader of a church, wrote books that influenced, I don't know, millions of people into faith, to say, I am no longer a Christian, I don't know. What, what has to happen in your heart to follow Jesus and then to stop? To essentially say, right, I am done with God. I mean, he divorced his wife, and I don't know what he's doing now, but man, just tragic. And here's what I know. I know that, that in this room this morning, there probably aren't many of us who would vocalize the statement, I am done with God. I don't think there are many of us in this room that would say that. But here's what I do know. That in this room, in our hearts, 
there have been seasons, have there not, when we have said in our hearts, I'm done. I'm done with God. That something happened in your life. You still show up to church. You still come. And I don't know why. Maybe because you feel like you're obligated to. You come to appease your spouse or your family members. But, but deep in your heart, you've said, this stuff doesn't work for me. This whole Christian faith, I mean, it just hasn't worked out. I mean, God didn't come through for me in, in this uh, particular situation. And, and God didn't do this for me in this season of life. And I mean, he's just let me down over and over again. And so, so for all intents and purposes, I'm done with God. I bet you this morning, in this room, there are some of us that if we were really honest with ourselves, we've made that statement. Again, maybe not out loud. Maybe you haven't vocalized it. Maybe you haven't put it on social media for everybody to read. But, but in your heart of hearts, you have said, I'm done with God. And if that is you this morning, from the passage of Scripture we're going to look at, I have some very good news for you. You might be done with God, but God is nowhere near done with you. He's not. And what we're going to see in this story we're looking at this morning is that, that in those seasons when we say, I am done with God, God continues to pursue us. And, and so from this story this morning, what I want to show you, I want to show you some ways, three ways that God works in our lives even when we say, I'm done with God. Because some of us this morning in this room, we need to hear this message because you've said it or you're saying it right now, I'm done with God. And some of us are on the verge of saying, I'm done. If God doesn't come through, me, come through for me this time, I'm finished. You need to hear this passage of Scripture and what God is going to say to you from it. This is an interesting story, and so, so just know that, that over the next couple weeks, we're getting into the life of Samson, right? And I don't know what you know about Samson, if you know anything at all about Samson, but, but if, if you probably do, because even if you're not a follower of Jesus, this is a, a pretty familiar Bible story, and I don't know what you think about when you think of Samson. Obviously, when, when God gave us his word, he just gave us his word. He didn't give us pictures to go along with his word, right? I mean, we don't have pictures of what Jesus looked like, or the apostles or any of these Old Testament characters, and we just kind of left to the imagination as to what these guys might have looked like. And when you think of Samson, based on the description you're given in Scripture, you probably think of what? What? Some really strong guy with really long hair. I found this, and I want to show it to, to you. This is an artist's rendition of what Samson probably looked like. You ready? Some of you will never be able to unsee that image, right? So um, you, can, uh, you can take it off the screen. Thank you. Yeah, let's, uh, you, you can take it off the screen if you don't mind. Yeah, okay. So, so um, here we go. Judges 13, 1 through 7. When you find that passage, go ahead and rise your feet as we honor the ring of God's word together. Judges 13, 1 through 7. And the people of Israel again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. So the Lord gave them into the hand of the Philistines for 40 years. There was a certain man of Zorah, of the tribe of the Danites, who was Manoah. And his name, or excuse me, and his wife was barren and had no children. And the angel of the Lord appeared to the woman and said to her, Behold, you are barren and have not borne children, but you shall conceive and bear a son. Therefore, be careful and drink no wine or strong drink. And eat nothing unclean. For behold, you shall conceive and bear a son. No razor shall come upon his head. For the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb, and he shall begin to save Israel from the hand of the Philistines. 
Then the woman came and told her husband, a man of God came to me, and his appearance was like the appearance of the angel of God, very awesome. I did not ask him where he was from, and he did not tell me his name. But he said to me, behold, you shall conceive and bear a son. So then drink no wine or strong drink and eat nothing unclean, for the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb to the day of his death. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this morning, and thank you for time together in your word. And I ask, Father, now that as we spend time together, that you would help us, that we would hear your spirit loud and clear speaking to us. And Father, there are those of us in this room that need to hear your spirit's voice. Because I know it. I I know that in this room there are people who have said, I'm done. Life hasn't worked out. Things haven't gone my way. It doesn't seem like you've come through for me. So I'm done. So Father, I pray this morning for those of us who feel like we're done with you, that you would remind us very clearly from your word that you're not done with us at all that you're doing a great work in us. We might not be able to see it right now, might not be able to understand it all right now, but you are at work. So remind us of that from your word. Help us to trust you this morning, to obey you, and ask it in Jesus' name, amen. You can have a seat. So we've been in Judges for quite a while now, and and I know I don't need to to review this for you, but but for my sake, I'm going to review this for you, right? We've seen this cycle repeating itself over and over again in the book of Judges, that, that you'll have a judge who rules over the people, and as long as there's a judge, the people do well, they honor the Lord, but then the judge dies. And when the judge dies, the people rebel against God, and they turn to idolatry. And, 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 and as they turn to idolatry, God allows them to experience the consequences of their sin, and he will send a nation, a group of people, to come in and oppress the people for their sin. And so after a while, the people, uh, they'll get tired of being oppressed, right? Nobody likes to be beat up by their enemies, and so they'll cry out to God, God, please save us, God, rescue us, and then God will raise up a judge, a judge who delivers them from their enemies, and and after the judge delivers them from their enemies, the judge will rule over them, and everything will go well again until the judge dies, and then the cycle repeats itself over and over again. And so as you look at Judges 13, this is interesting. Because we've seen that cycle now several times, and I know that we've seen some variations on that cycle, but look what takes place in Judges 13. You have uh, the first verse, for example, and it says, The people of Israel again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. So the Lord gave them into the hand of the Philistines for 40 years. There was a certain man of Zorah of the tribe of the Danites. Do you notice something? Something is missing in this story. The people are enslaved by the Philistines. They have been for 40 years, but you notice what they do not do? They don't cry out to God. They don't ask God to deliver them from their oppressors. They are done with God. They're content, content to be enslaved, content to be oppressed, content with the consequences of their sin. They are done with God. And and let's just stop right there because we need to think through this. Uh, There are some of us, even in this room this morning, in that same situation, content. Content with living apart from God. Content with our sin. Even when that sin has caused disastrous consequences in our lives, we're okay with it. We're content living apart from God. We are done with God. And what a miserable place to be. And some of you, even this morning, it's miserable. You know it's miserable. 
but you're content in your misery. This is the nation of Israel. And if you think about it, this is descriptive of so many people done with God, content living apart from God, content staying in our sin, even if that means disastrous consequences for our lives. But God's not done. Even though the people are done with God, God pursues. He comes to a a woman. What's interesting to me in this story is that we don't even know her name, right? We know her husband's name, Manoah, but we're not given her name. She's just this obscure Israelite woman, and the reality is she's probably no different than the rest of the Israelites. She's probably content in her sin as well, and her husband Manoah is probably content in his sin as well. I mean, I think the picture is no one's seeking after God. No one is seeking for God, but God seeks after his people. And aren't you glad for that in your life? Because every one of us in this room who are followers of Jesus, that's been our experience. Because everyone, before we came to Christ, we were content in our sin. We were dead in our sin, as Ephesians 2 says. But God made us alive in Christ. He pursued you. He came after you. He saved you. And now in this story, God is coming after a woman. We don't know her name. We know her husband's name. She's been barren for all of her life. I I don't know how long her and her husband wanted children They had prayed for children. Who knows? But she's never had a child. And and her story sounds like so many stories that we've read about in the Old Testament before, whether it was Sarah's story or Rachel's story or whatever the case may be. We've heard stories like this before. And God comes to this woman and says, you are going to have a child. Now, it's interesting. Let let me show you a couple things in the text. You come down and you you read, for example, in Judges 13, and you come to to verse uh, 5. For behold, you shall conceive and bear a son. No razor shall come upon his head. For the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb. And he shall begin to save Israel from the hand of the Philistines. Now, a couple of things, right? One, notice when God calls Samson to serve as judge. From the womb. This is interesting because if you think about, right, follow me now, if you think about all the other stories that we've read in the book of Judges, when does God call a judge to lead? As an adult, right? You think about all the different examples that that according to God's plan and God's way and His sovereign design at just the right time, God raises up a male or a female to, to lead His people to victory, an adult. But now He calls a deliverer that's not even alive yet, you're going to have a son. He's going to begin to deliver Israel from the hand of the Philistines. And now notice what the text says. No razor shall come upon his head, for the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb. Now, when you read that phrase, Nazarite from the womb, I don't know what you think about, but but let me explain it to you. Back in Numbers 21, God gave provisions for what was called a Nazarite vow. And, and just kind of summarize what a Nazarite vow was. If you were an Israelite and, and you wanted to, to, to devote yourself to God, just in a very unique way, in a way that you normally didn't devote yourself, you, you wanted to set yourself apart for God. For a period of time, you would take a Nazarite vow. And that Nazarite vow had a beginning point and it had 
an endpoint. This is what you did as, as an Israelite, right? And, and during that season that you were under that Nazarite vow, you'd spend time fasting and seeking God. You wouldn't cut your hair. Uh, you wouldn't drink strong drink or wine. You certainly wouldn't touch a dead body. These were things that you would do under the Nazarite vow. And that vow was for a, a set period of time. And when you were finished with the Nazarite vow, you'd go make a sacrifice and get on about your life. And so over the course of your life, you might take a Nazarite vow or two. Who knows, right? But, but that was what it was. It was a vow to God showing dedication to him, and it was for a specific period of time. Now, this is interesting because now God comes to this woman, right? This man of God comes to this woman and says, you're going to have a son, and from birth until he dies. He's going to be under a Nazarite vow. From the day he is born to the day he dies, he is going to be set apart for me. Right? And that child to be born would be Samson. Set apart from God from the day he was born to the day he died. He wasn't supposed to cut his hair right. He wasn't supposed to drink strong drink and all those different things. Set apart from God. And this is interesting, right? Because what we, what we see in the text is, is no one is pursuing God. The Israelites were content in their sin. God comes. He comes to a woman. I'm going to do something. I'm going to raise up in your womb a child that's going to be born and going to grow up and deliver my people. Everybody was done with God. But God was not done with his people. And God's not done with you. Because what you see in the story, really, in a lot of ways, you see it in your own life, right? That, that God pursues you. We already said, right, that he pursued you in order to have a relationship with you, to save you through his son, Christ Jesus. And even as a follower of Jesus, he's still pursuing you. I mean, just think about it for a moment. Think about the different ways he pursues you. God works in this way, right? That, that while we run from him, he pursues us. God pursues us while we run from him. Uh, that's how God works, right? When we're done with him. And he pursues us in this way. And some of you this morning, you're experiencing in your own life, if you'll acknowledge it, these different ways that God's pursuing you. Sometimes God pursues you by comforting you. You think about what Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, the apostle Paul said that, the, that, that God is the God of all comforts. And you've been there. You've been there in that season of tragedy. You, maybe it was the loss of a loved one. Maybe it was a horrific disease. Maybe it was something else. And in that time of tragedy, what happened? God comforted you. He pursued you by comforting you. He put people around you that loved on you that encouraged you, that, that pointed you to the hope that you can have in a relationship with Jesus Christ. Sometimes the way that God pursues us is by comforting us in those times of affliction and distress. Sometimes it's different, right? Sometimes God pursues us by convicting us. You know what conviction is, don't you? A conviction isn't simply feeling guilty for our sins. No, it's deeper than that. The Bible says in, in places like John 16, that Jesus sent the Holy Spirit to convict the world of sin. In Hebrews chapter 4, the writer of Hebrews says that, that the revelation, the Word of God, is sharper than a two-edged sword. And some of you, you have felt in your life the sword of God. Right? That, that, that there was a temptation to sin, 
Uh, there, there was something looming in the distance that you knew didn't honor the Lord and you wanted to go after it, but all of a sudden, conviction came upon you. You knew it, that that thing you wanted to pursue that was out of the will of God, that sin you wanted to give into, you knew it. You knew that it was detestable to God. You knew that it was horrendous. And that conviction, that conviction of the Spirit of God got a hold of you. And you didn't give in to that temptation. God pursued you by conviction. And for some of us, that's what he's doing this morning. He's pursuing some of us by conviction right now. Or think about this. God pursues you by disciplining you. Isn't that good? The Bible says, right, that, that in Hebrews chapter 12, that God treats his children as a father treats his son. And there will be times in your life when you get out of line with your heavenly father, and he will discipline you. He will chastise you. And you, you know how he does it. He does it by allowing you to experience the consequences of your sin. And as you experience the consequences of your sin, as you experience the consequences of your own rebellion, it wakes you up and says, wait a minute, I, I can't keep in this lifestyle. I've got to turn back to my father. You see what I'm saying? God pursues you. Sometimes it's by comforting you. Uh, sometimes it's, it's convicting you of sin. Uh, sometimes it's discipline. God pursues you by being faithful to you. Aren't you thankful? In, in, in 2 Timothy chapter 2, Paul writes to Timothy, and he says to Timothy in verse 13, when we are faithless, when we are done with God, God remains faithful to us. You think about Revelation chapter 3, verse 20, when, when, when Jesus speaks to the church at Laodicea, a church that was done with God. Jesus said, hey, listen, I stand at the door and knock. My friend, do you see it? You might feel like you're done with God, but he is not done with you. And even this morning, wherever you might be in life, wherever you might be in your relationship with God, he is pursuing you. And some of you right now, you're experiencing it. You're experiencing the comfort of God. Give praise to God for that and turn to him. For some of you this morning, you're experiencing the conviction. You know there's a decision you make that will put you outside the will of God. And right now God's saying, no, don't do it. That sin that you want to commit, that temptation you want to give into, it is detestable to me. Don't do it. You're experiencing that conviction right now. For some of us, you're experiencing the consequences of your sin, right? You've rebelled, and it has gotten you to, into a world of trouble with your family, with your friends, with people that you love, because that's what sin does. It, it always damages. It never does us good. And you're experiencing, even this morning, the consequences of that sin. If you're a child of God, that is your heavenly Father disciplining you. Don't ignore it. He's faithful. He's standing at the door knocking, right? And just think about it for a moment. If you choose to ignore the pursuit of God, you will be miserable. Because, listen, my friend, when you are outside the will of God, when you are ignoring his pursuit on your life, you have no real joy. Come on, be honest with me. You know that. You're not living in the center of his will. There's no joy. There's no sense of purpose in your life. And there certainly isn't any spiritual growth in your life when you're outside of his will. But right now, today is a day of grace for you. Because right now, know it. God is pursuing you. You might think you're done with God, but he's not done with you. You might be running from God, but he's running to you by pursuing you. Don't ignore it. You know that, that we're um, 
trying to get ready to, to, to move to a, another part of town. And, and, and so we're in that whole process of, 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 of packing up, or at least we're starting to pack up and go through our stuff and all those kinds of things. And, and, and Stacy and I have different approaches in a lot of things in life. And when it comes to packing up our house, we really have different approaches because I'm the kind of guy that has no sentimental attachment to anything, right? I, I just... I just don't care, right? I mean, my philosophy is if we don't need it, get rid of it. And if we find out we do need it, we'll go buy it again. Just no big deal, right? Um, Stacy has sentimental attachment to everything we have in our house, right? And so, so we have this divide, uh, and now we're trying to figure out what do we keep, what do we get rid of, because I don't want to take everything to the new house. She wants to take everything to the new house. So just, just trying to figure all that out, right? And so, so, so we had a conversation the other day, or actually... Um, she talked to me and I just listened. And so we had a, a, a moment where she was giving me some instructions, right, and, and talking about what was going to happen in the days ahead. And I, I just kind of put everything in a bag and, and take it to the dump. And she said to me, she said, look in my, this is what she said, she said, look in my eyes. I said, yes, ma'am. And so I looked into her eyes and she said, anything you put into a bag, you must let me see it before you take it out of the house. And all of a sudden, chills went down my spine, right? Because I had flashbacks. I had flashbacks the last time we moved. It didn't go well for me. And I remember, and you might remember, because I think I told you this story three years ago. The last time we moved, the house we were in had two closets in the master's bedroom. My closet and her closet. Everything in my closet belonged to who? Yeah. I thought it belonged to me. I mean, it was stuff that I had bought. They were my clothes. She never wears my clothes. I mean, it was my stuff. My little pea brain thought everything in my closet belongs to me. And I can remember getting stuff in my bag and, 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 and want to take it out to the trash can. And it was in the evening time, and she was in another room. I mean, I saw my path to the door, right? And so, so, so I, I start to, to, to tiptoe across the hallway, being as quiet as a mouse. I was going to get away with it. I was going to get out the door, and I was going to get to the trash can. It was going to be glorious. But my wife, obviously, she, she, she has eyes everywhere. And so as I get to the back door, she says, where are you going? Right? She caught me. And she said, what's in the bag? To which I said to her, my stuff. Because what was in the bag was my stuff, Right? And I remember we had an argument, I mean, we had a conversation that night about whose stuff was in the bag. And, and if you remember the story I told you three years ago, in that moment, the only thing I could think to do was to lay my body over top of that bag, right, and say, woman, you ain't getting in this bag, right? It was a painful night for me. All that to say, I can't get her to leave me alone. You know what I'm saying? I mean, like, like I, I just can't escape my wife. At every turn, she's there, right? I mean, she sees me when I'm sleeping. She knows I'm awake. She knows I'm bad or good. I mean, everything. I just can't escape it. You see what I'm saying? Now, think about it. Your God knows everything about you. He is pursuing you even now. You can't escape the God who loves you. And this is good for you. Try to run all you want right? But today, recognize the grace of God that right now He is pursuing you. We got to move on or we won't get done. So, so one, God pursues us while we run from Him. But what else we see in this story is this. Look at this. God calls us to trust Him while we question His plan. I mean, so far in the story, we've heard from Manoah's wife. God comes to her. You're going to have a child. 
going to begin to deliver your people. And there's Manoah. Manoah's wife comes to Manoah. You're not going to believe this. An angel of the Lord came to me and said, I'm going to have a child and, and he's going to deliver our people. I mean, it's going to be awesome. And Manoah's doubting a bit. I mean, after all, if your wife came to you and told you that God came to her, you'd probably have some questions too. And he does. Look at what the text says. You, you look at Judges 13 and, 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 and you see what, what um, it says, for example, in verse 8. Then Manoah prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, please let the man of God whom you sent come again to us and teach us what we are to do with the child who will be born. Stop right there. Okay, i got to see it for myself. And so Manoah goes to the Lord in prayer, right? Send him back. That messenger of God that came and talked to my wife, send him back. I've got to know more, right? Uh, what she told me about him and about what he promised is not sufficient for me. Please, send him back. Send the messenger back. I want to know what we're supposed to do. Send the messenger back. And look what the text says. In God, verse 9, listen to the voice of Manoah. And the angel of God came again to the woman, and she sat in the field, but Noah, Manoah, her husband, was not with her. So the woman ran quickly and told her husband, Behold, the man who came out to me the other day has appeared to me. And Manoah arose and went after his wife and came to the man and said to him, Are you the man who spoke to this woman? And he said, I am. And Manoah said, Now when your words come true, what is to be the child's manner of life? And what is his mission? Listen to this. And the angel of the Lord said to Manoah, Of all that I said to the woman, let her be careful. She may not eat of anything that comes from the vine, Neither let her drink wine or strong drink or eat any unclean thing. All that I commanded her to let her let her observe. You see what goes on, don't you? Manoah wants information. He's got to have some answers, right? And so he prays, God, send that messenger back. And God does. And the messenger uh, appears to Manoah's wife. And so Manoah's wife runs to get her husband. And so there they are. Manoah is face to face with this messenger from God. And you see what he says, right? Give me some instructions. Tell me what's going on with him. I mean, once he's born, what do we do with him? I mean, how are we supposed to raise him? And, 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 and did you see it in the text? What is his mission in life? Come on. You've got to give me some answers. You've got to help me figure this out. You've got to give me some more information because you have not given me enough information. I need more. And did you see how the angel of the Lord replied? He didn't give him more. I already told your wife what to do. I told her not to drink strong drink, right? I told her not to eat unclean things. Make sure she does what I told her to do. That was it. And just to kind of speed through the story for just a second, what happens after that is, is Manoah wants to share a meal with this messenger of God. And, and this is kind of an aside. I think this is probably what's going on. He wants to share a meal with this messenger of God. And, and in those days, to share a meal, I mean, it was significant because it meant fellowship and friendship around the table. But the Israelites, they're not in fellowship with God. So the angel of the Lord refuses to eat the meal. But he says, here's what you can do. You can offer a burnt offering to God. And, and so, long story short, that's exactly what Manoah does. He offers a burnt offering to God. And when he does, he sees the flame of the offering ascend to the sky and the angel of the Lord ascending with it. And in that moment, Manoah gets it. I've been in the presence of God and I'm going to die. Right? 
Because that's what happens. He, he sees that, that, that man, I, I've been in the presence of the Almighty, and he sees himself for who he is. But all that to say, think about Manoah for just a moment. Because Manoah wanted the same thing that so many of us want, right? When we're in that situation in life where we're saying in our hearts, I'm done with God. All Manoah wanted was some answers. And maybe this morning, that's the reason why some of you are done with God. Because he hasn't given you the answers that you want. You've been saying to God, God, where are you? Why are you letting me experience this? Why are you letting me go through this? God, where are you in all of this? And, and it seems like there's nothing but silence, right? Now, now, let me help you understand this. God does indeed have all the answers. He knows exactly what he's doing in your life, and he knows exactly why he's doing it in your life. But just because God has all the answers doesn't mean that you need all the answers. Because you know what God's trying to form in you. He's trying to form faith in you. He's trying to help you learn to trust him. And sometimes God does not give us all the answers to build that trust in him. So we can know it's just one step at a time, keeping my eyes on him. I'm going to do what he says right now and trust him with the details. Don't you love what Psalm 119 says? In Psalm 119 verse 105, the psalmist says, Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. I don't know when it was the last time you went out late at night. Walking out in the darkness, complete darkness, no street lights, no moonlight, just darkness. And all you had was a flashlight. When you shine that flashlight in complete darkness, what can you see? Just a few steps ahead of you. That's it. That's all you can see is just a few steps ahead of you. That, that light provides you enough light not to run into anything, right? You can't see it all. And, and, and in a lot of ways, that's the way it is in our Christian journey. God has given us light to see what he wants us to see right now. And sometimes that's only a few steps ahead of us. Now, maybe in eternity, God will let us see the whole picture. I have no idea. But I know right now that what God wants to do in your life is to build tr trust and, and faith in you. And you're asking all these questions. God, why don't you answer my question? I'm done with you because you won't answer me. And God's saying to you the same thing he's saying in Manoah. Just trust me. Do what I've already said. In fact, I would propose to you that, that at the end of the day, God has already given you the only answer that you really need anyway. Jesus. He's the answer you need, right? Because your greatest problem wasn't problems in your marriage. Your greatest problem wasn't financial problems. Your greatest problem weren't problems in work or, 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 or kids that didn't listen to you, right? Your greatest problem was a sin problem that separated you from the God of all creation. And God provided an answer for that sin problem through his son, Jesus Christ. He has given you the answer that your heart needs, right? And he's told you, look to him and trust him. You got it. You got all that God needs to give you. And, 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 and if you'll hear this, if you'll listen to this, this will change your life forever, right? Let, let me give you just a statement. Come on in close now. You've got to hear this because I, I promise you, this is so profound, right? This is so profound and so life-changing. You've probably never heard anybody tell you this before, and this will change your life if you hear it. You ready? You ready? You're not God. Right? I mean, for some reason, in, in, our, in our tiny little brains, we think God works for us right? And we think God answers to us. God, answer all my questions. If you don't answer my questions, I'm not going to trust you. If you don't show me, I'm not going to follow you. If you don't, listen, you're not God. 
God does not answer to you. You answer to Him. You understand? And there will be a day that comes for you. But you stand before the King of kings and Lord of lords, the great judge of all creation. Have you trusted Him? Have you followed His Son, Jesus? Or over the course of your life, have you said, I'm done? I'm done with God. You see? God, God pursues us while we're on the run. And the second way we see God working in those seasons when we're done with Him is God calls us to trust Him while we question His plan. And this morning, that might be where you are, questioning, God, God, come on, give me some answers. And God is simply saying to you, trust me. I've got it. I mean, because the Bible is clear all over the place, right, that He is at work in our lives Romans 8, 28, all things work together for the good of those who are called by him and chosen by him, right? Romans 8, 31, for God is for us. Who can be against us? Man, you can trust this God who saved you through his son. He might not give you all the answers, but he has given you all the answers that you need to trust him. You see? Let me show one more thing from the text. God calls us to trust him while we uh, try to give up. Or excuse me, God finishes what he has begun while we try to give up. In those seasons, we say, I'm done with God. God's not done with us. Again, let me share from the text what the Bible says. Now, I want you to back up. I want you to back up to the beginning of the story one more time. Look at what it says in, in uh, verse 5. For behold, you shall conceive and bear a son. No razor shall come upon his head, for the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb, and he shall, what's the word say? Begin to save Israel from the hand of the Philistines. He shall begin to save Israel from the hand of the Philistines. And if you think about it, this really is the story of every judge in this book. They begin to save their people. But none of them finish the task. They begin, but they don't complete it. And if you think about Samson's life, we're going to get into this next week. It's really odd. Because from birth, Samson is supposed to be a Nazarite, set apart for God. But he fights it every day of his life. Samson's perspective of life, we'll see it next week, is it's my way. I'm strong enough. I'm powerful enough. I can get what I want when I want it. And he lives his entire life that way until the end. And at the end, he looks at God. And at the end, this broken hero, this broken hero, performs one heroic act by giving his life so his people can be freed from the Philistines. After the end of a life of rebellion, that's how it ends. He turns to God and gives his life for his people. But over the course of his life, what we really see is a man who's given up. At every turn in his story, Samson gives up on God. And I imagine the text doesn't tell us about Manoah and his wife, but when Samson rebels against God, when Samson doesn't live out the Nazarite vow, I bet you, I bet you Manoah and his wife, they gave up on Samson too. And probably gave up on God again. Right? Aren't you thankful that when we give up on God, he finishes what he started? Because think about it, right? The verse says what? Verse 5. He will begin to save his people. Samson ultimately does not get the job done, nor does any other judge get the job done. We need a judge who gets the job done. And if you think about it, in a lot of ways, Jesus is the opposite of Samson. 
Jesus didn't take a Nazarite vow. I get that. But his whole life was set apart for God. And over the course of his whole life, he never sinned. He never rebelled. He never went after his desires. It was always after the will of the Father. And after a whole life of holiness before God, he would die as well. One heroic act that would change the world. You see, after a life of failure, Samson gives his life. But for Jesus, after a life of full obedience, he willingly gives his life for us, right? He is the ultimate judge who has done what no other judge in the book of Judges could do. He gives real victory, real freedom from our oppressors, real victory forever, you see? And this judge, Jesus, who died on a cross, he didn't stay dead. No, three days later, he rose from the dead, proving to us once and for all that he was more than simply a man. He was the God-man, God in the flesh, who came to rescue us from our sin and to give us life abundant and everlasting, you see? He is the ultimate judge. And I I love, right, I love what Paul says in Philippians 1, verse 6. He who began a good work in you. Is faithful. Is faithful to complete it. He doesn't give up on you. And the death and resurrection of Jesus is proof to you, my friend. Proof to you that Jesus does not give up on you. And so the question you have to ask yourself, if you're in that season where, where you've been saying, I'm done with God, how much longer are you going to resist? How much longer are you going to fight God? Because even now, I believe it, right? And, and maybe even this morning, right now, in this moment, you are experiencing the conviction of the Spirit of God. Right now, you know He's pursuing you. How long are you going to keep fighting it? Why not choose to cooperate with His work and experience the joy that He has for you? Recognize, right, that He's pursuing you. He's calling you to trust Him. And He's not giving up on you. This morning, come to Him. Maybe you're not a follower of Jesus. Maybe you've never given your life to him before. Maybe your whole life has been a life where you said, I don't want God, I don't need God. This morning, recognize that you do. You need him desperately because you're a sinner. And apart from the saving work of Jesus, you're on your way to an eternity in hell. But this morning, if you'll believe that Jesus Christ really did die in your place, taking the punishment for your sin that you deserved, and that he rose from the dead three days later, if you believe And if you turn, if you turn from your sin and give your life to him and say, God, now from this point forward, my life is in your hands. I may not serve you perfectly. I may not live perfectly, but but I, I want to experience the grace that you've given for your son, Jesus Christ. I want that grace for me. I want my sins forgiven. I want new life. This morning, experience the joy of knowing Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior of your life. In the corners of this room, there are two crosses. At those crosses, there will be some people who are ready to talk to you pray with you to help you begin a relationship with Jesus. So if you've never begun a relationship with Jesus, today is your day. Go to one of those crosses. Talk to that that person who's there. Let them help you today to experience salvation in Jesus Christ. And for those of us who are followers of Jesus, maybe you're in that season. Maybe you're in that season where you've felt like you're done with God. And I don't know how God is speaking to you this morning. Maybe he's calling you to repent of an attitude that says, God, I don't need you. Maybe he's calling you to turn uh, from, from, from questioning him all the time and he's calling you to trust him. Maybe he's calling you just to stop running and come back to his grace. I don't know how God is speaking to you this morning, but I know that he is. 
So have a time of invitation. You respond as the Spirit of God leads you. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this morning, for your goodness to us. Thank you right now that you're speaking to us. Thank you right now that you're calling us to trust you, to pursue you, to be reminded that you are a God who never fails us. For that man, that woman in this room this morning who has never begun a relationship with Jesus, I pray today that person would find hope salvation inside of a relationship with Jesus Christ. And for those of us who are yours, who are followers of Jesus, Father, wake us up spiritually. Help us not to live with an attitude that says, I'm done. Help us to live with an attitude that says, God, work in my life. I'm cooperating with your spirit. I want to be the child of God that you call me to be. Father, in these moments, help us to respond to your voice in obedience and ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You rise to your feet as we have time of invitation together. You come now as the Spirit of God leads you.